This is Tech Talk Today, episode 281. Just last week you called me, the way you're talking is driving me insane, hello. Just last week you called me, the way you're talking is driving me insane, hello. Welcome into Tech Talk Today, episode 281. I'm Chris. And I'm Angela. And over there is one Mr. Alan Jude. Hello, Alan. Hello, everybody. Hey, it's good to be chatting with you. And I think it's maybe only the first or second time Alan's been on Tech Talk. At least the second, I know. Hmm. But I'm not, because we did one, yeah. we did a live one at Linux Fest. Yes. Yeah. Ah, and then I think maybe once in the very, very beginning, I like think 100, so. ep- 150 episodes ago or something. I feel it in my bones. <laughs> I feel it in my bones. So we're going to start out with a couple of security stories, which is perfect having Alan here. And one that we've been following since we brought this show back is the gray key, which is that depending on which one you buy, fifteen dollars to $30,000 box that you hook up. It's got two lightning ports. You hook it up to an iPhone. And then in the background, it loads some software and it starts trying to exploit the iPhone security, get it unlocked. So that way, the idea is that the law enforcement personnel could get into these devices. And um, there's not much known about how they work because that would sort of ruin it for them. But we've been speculating here on the show that Apple's going to screw this over for them. Absolutely. Block it however yeah. they can. Mm-hmm. And it's, well, yeah, if... If Apple can manage to get one of the devices, I imagine they can figure it out pretty quickly Yeah, uh, and then release an update. Yeah, it seems like these $30,000 gray keys were just going to become doorstops once Apple made a change. And the funny thing is the cha- they've made that change now, starting with the next iOS. And it's so simple. It, it makes it laughable these things are valued at $30,000. Apple is simply going to configure the OS to just disable the USB functionality after a given inactivity period. Yep. So the port just doesn't work as a data port. Which makes sense. Right. It, it basically, if you haven't unlocked the phone in X days, then don't let somebody use the port to yeah. screw over your phone. It's such a simple solution. Like they didn't have to like solve whatever exploit they were using to like get past the passcode lockout or but break encryption. They didn't have to worry about any of that. They just turned off the port. Yep. All right. But here's the thing. Okay. Let's say they have somebody in custody yeah. and they're saying, unlock your phone. Yeah. And they're saying no sure. because rights and probably uh, incriminating stuff. On sure, the yeah. Phone. <laughs> yeah. Nudie pics. Uh, knock him out. Use his thumb. It's unlocked. So it's funny. I think... Uh, well, um, usually, I think the timeout is going to be like a day or, or seven days even, I think. So, you know, if... This if would be for evidence. They don't even have to knock you out or use your thumb. They just need to plug it in within a day of arresting you. Which has been, ah. a, which has actually been a problem in the past. Um, San Bernardino uh, case, for example, they just didn't get to it in time. Right. Because, <laughs> you know, because there's, I don't know, a bureaucracy involved. Um, so I think the thing about that, so I think that's the funny thing about your thumbprint is there's some special protection around things you have that they're not allowed to use without your permission, but things you know they can somehow compel or something like... I, oh, I'll be, interesting. Don't ask yeah. me. I don't know anything yeah. about this, but there's something with that. $30,000 and now they just turn off the USB port. I wonder if they're going to contract with like a silicone manufacturer for thumbprints. Like, oh, we've taken your prints before. Mm, and now we'll just 3D print them. Yeah, basically. <laughs> well, uh, the Mythbusters did that with the old like uh, log into your computer with your thumbprint things oh. from a long time ago and those uh, thumbprint door locks that you see. On like you know, uh, offices and so on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and they just made took the thumbprint off like a CD jewel case and uh, made it with their ballistics gel and uh, 
bypass most of them, although they found most of them could be defeated by just a photocopy of somebody's fingerprint, not even a very good one. Wow. Yeah. Um, and a couple of them, you had to lick the photocopy for it to work. You got to have a little moisture on there, huh? <laughs> well, it was, it was, it was the, their detection to make sure the thumb's still alive or whatever. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. Right. God. Like the Matrix. Yeah. It's morbid. Yeah. So, yeah, you just lick the photocopy and uh, that worked. But I remember the... The one that the particular one I had, it took them a little more trying to defeat. They basically made an inverted mold of the the one from the photocopy and printed it on the, like a printed circuit board type thing to give actual raised ridges, uh, but backwards, and then used that to make the the ballistic gel mold, and eventually defeated even the one I had. That's pretty motivated, though. Yeah. You know, that's at that point you're pretty motivated. Um, now, now they're yeah, be- it's just you don't have to cut off somebody's thumb. Although right. it's probably like three hours less effort. Now they're going to, yeah. <laughs> oh God, that's horrible. Oh man. Now they're just going to take molds of your face all with future phones. Um, but in the meantime, you still have that whole carrier problem, especially here in the States where we discussed this recently, carriers were selling information about your location, where you go. And um, it's Verizon and AT&T just recently voluntarily announced that they're going to spin that down. But now the Supreme Court has weighed in with their decision. The Supreme Court bolstering mobile phone privacy. Justices had considered this idea that prosecutors would have to get a subpoena or a warrant in order to sequester information from telephone companies. And I guess it was an expected decision, David. Well, I don't know, because uh, they hadn't really addressed this issue, because of course they're not actually getting the content of the telephone call. What they're just getting is information about the location exactly. of the cell phones at various times. And and there were questions about whether they would apply the Fourth Amendment to this. It's Carpenter against the United States. You've gone over it already. It was a criminal case, and they basically tracked uh, uh, an accused defendant, according to these cell phones. The question was whether they had to get a warrant in order to get the information from the cell phone company. It's interesting to me, Bonnie, that the cell phone companies were so divided. Verizon was the only one who really took a position. A lot of cell phone companies really didn't want to come in with a position. The way we covered this in the past was uh, it really it came to light because jails were using this functionality that cell phone, cell phone providers were just freely sharing for a price. Not freely, but sharing for a price. They were using, jails were using that functionality to track where everybody who was talking to inmates was talking to them from. So they knew the location of all of the family and friends that the inmates were speaking to. And then um, the company that sold that to the prisons sort of blew up. Everybody became aware of it. And then they realized you could go check your own location information and sign up and start tracking people. And uh, it sort of escalated very quickly since we were on season break uh, to this level where AT&T and Verizon have sort of pulled out. Now the Supreme Court has said, this is actually a violation of the Fourth Amendment. And it was a five to four vote uh, in favor of uh, Timothy Ivory Carpenter, who is the one that brought this um, to the courts. Kind of yeah, a good of course, move. If you're an advertiser, you can still do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also I was reading another article this morning. It's like, um, there's several other loopholes over here that cell phone providers can just totally take advantage of this. So don't think this is going to change anything. Well, maybe we'll see a, a big surge in, uh, you know, those uh, public safety ads and so on. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Or maybe maybe people, this will be another step in people realizing their data is actually valuable. That does seem to have started to happen, like with the Facebook, uh, Cambridge Analytica scandal. Mm-hmm. And- well, uh, a good one I saw recently was, uh, a, it was a comic strip or whatever, of uh, person checking out at a grocery store. And it's like, that'll be this much, but you can have this much off if you give us your phone number and yeah. this much off if you if you let us uh, Track you your know, profile all buying. the things that you're buying yep. and this much off if you, you know, uh, 
let us track your cell phone wherever you go. And yep. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I, I feel like maybe it's starting to happen that people are like, Oh, my data is actually valuable. Like all the stuff they want to know about me is a little creepy and it is actually valuable. And, um, we'll see, we'll see where it goes. Mr. Jude, though, has a new purchase that I'm pretty excited to talk about. Alan, did you take advantage of the uh, Pixel 2 sale? Google is sending out like $15 coupon code, 15% off coupon codes, I should say, right now for the Pixel 2. And rumor has it you might have grabbed one. Uh, well, I did get one, although... Didn't get the uh, deal? I, <laughs> yeah. well, I, I did get, I get a version of the deal. It's Canadian, oh. so it's all weird. But, oh. So. Oh, that makes of sense. Course. Of course it would be. <laughs> um, What's that about? <laughs> I, I, I've been thinking about getting the new phone, uh, but I hadn't really pulled the trigger. And then... Uh, Another story we'll get to in maybe in a few minutes is I had no electricity for most of the day yesterday. So we went to the mall. Oh. Um, and then, and, of course. Uh, boys got a shop. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm like, if I'm here and I literally have nothing else to do, now's the time to sit there and True. deal with trying to be upsold for an hour uh, and buying a phone. It took that long, huh? Yeah, that is a good way to put well, it. Well, uh, we had lots of fun trying to transfer the data from my old phone to the new phone. Because of how uh, old Partly because... Uh, well, no, the Nexus 6 isn't that bad, but the problem oh. was, the first one, the first problem was after he hooked it up, he didn't go on the Nexus 6 and enable the USB oh. mode thing. So he <laughs> Oh, funny. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, so the other phone went entirely. And then, I don't the guy seemed like he had done this like dozens of times at least, but when he was trying to do it on the pixel side he didn't log into the captive portal of the wi-fi and so it was just sitting waiting for an internet connection oh and he's gosh. like well maybe it just takes a while I'm like, give me the phone <laughs> of course you did do you know um, who i am did you move. say that <laughs> no i didn't but um then half uh, the google the pixel setup thing uh you start transferring the files and like uh while it's transferring you can finish the rest of the setups i'm like yeah sure save some time next da, 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 da. and then it's like the Pixel setup app has crashed. I'm like, you... No way. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, and then it turns out there is no way to start it over again. You can't You can't transfer files. If, if you skip, if you say, don't transfer files from my old phone right now, for up to like seven days after you set up the phone, you can still transfer the files from your old phone. Uh, but because we had started it, but it crashed, there was no way to resume or start it over again. Hmm. Um... And this yeah. is like there's, physically, so there's no way to get back into the setup thing. These are physically connected devices, so it's like doing like a, a transfer uh, from the, the point, file yes, system. I had uh, the USB OTG cable into my Nexus, and then it went into the USB-C to like USB 2 uh, A type, yeah, whatever. So uh, did you have to connector. reset the new phone? Or yeah, did you so I had to a new after <laughs> like four hours of, oh of my having gosh. the phone and playing with it, I had to factory reset it and start the whole process over again wow wow you know this is why you got to put everything in the cloud alan well uh so my contacts and stuff did that but like i had it was a lot faster to reinstall the 92 apps by copying them from my other phone <laughs> yeah. than to download them all again no kidding uh, oh for sure and uh i had a bunch of stuff on there and um so some of the apps did a good job of coming up on my new phone mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. uh threema the encrypted messenger i use it was like, yep, I see the backup you made. Just enter the password and I'll restore the backup and here's all my settings. Nice. Um, K9, my mail app, it was like, there's nothing on the new phone. I didn't copy anything over uh -huh. as part of it. I'm like, oh. So I went on the old phone, exported the settings, and then with them hooked up again, I could access the file off the other phone as if it was like a USB stick and load all my settings. 
and like Telegram, I had to log in again and then prove right. that I was me because it, it sent a message to my old phone without a SIM uh, with a code to enter on my new phone yep. to enable my profile or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I, you did all this in the store, right? Because you couldn't go home because no, uh, no did, internet at home? Um, I did. Well, uh, part of it, I had to wait until I had internet again, which is why I had the phone for like four hours before I factory right. reset it. But yeah. So yeah, the, the power went out on Friday morning at 1 a.m. No. Uh, I was just about to fall asleep and I saw my girlfriend's phone was like flashing and beeping. And I was like, what's that? And then I listened like, the air conditioner stopped. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, 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 there's the beeping of the UPSs. Yep. Oh, yeah, what's that's done? always the thing. That's always, that's like, oh crap. <laughs> well, because I have one, two, three, four, five, six UPSs in the house. <laughs> beep, oh, wow. there's, beep, There's three beep. in the server room, one in the laundry room that runs the switch, the, the wiring for the whole house, one in my office and one in my downstairs office um and yeah they're all it's like beep 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 beep, beep. <laughs> uh, uh, and i look outside and no oh, even the street lights are out we're really boned aren't we well what happened uh, so some 19 year old idiot with his dodge charger uh was racing on the street or whatever oh. lost control and took out not one, but two utility poles. Wow. And his car managed to come to rest in the middle of the intersection, which if you know anything about intersections, the phone poles are not anywhere near the middle of the intersection. Yeah, no kidding. Jeez. He must have been really I, uh, I, I dropped the link in the uh, the te- er, Slack. Uh, yep. You can see what's left of his car. <laughs> Jeez, I'm guessing he didn't uh, survive. Oh my nope. god! Uh, he just had uh, an injured shoulder and was released from the hospital later that day before my power was back on. I'll uh, drop a link to that in the show notes too. That is amazing that he survived. Kind of, kind of a, kind of, kind of a, a good an ad for the Dodge Challenger there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like look, the, you, the entire front of the car is demolished, completely like gone, ripped in half. Yeah, but the driver's door is not open. even dented. Yeah, yeah it's open. not. It's not <laughs> like I, I don't think they they didn't have to jaws of life no, out of it. Right? No, open the door and walked out. And yeah, oh, I'm an idiot. I can see also <laughs> some side impact airbags went off and some air. Yeah, so yeah, it, yeah. I'll, I'll, you guys got to see a Basically, picture of that. Hurt his shoulder with the seatbelt. Wow. <laughs> and took out power for for a while. Uh, yeah. So uh, originally when it, when the first announcement came for the power company, I think it was 860 uh, customers and businesses affected. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had a ETA to re- restoration of 6 a.m. Uh, but then I guess when the sun came up, they realized that, wow, that's a lot more Damn broken it. than it looks like. Yeah. Um, and then so when I woke up at like 7 a.m., uh, and looked at the phone. Yep, uh, power's still out, and the uh, um, the they haven't updated the estimate of when it'll be fixed. Uh, and then later, it was like, "Oh, it'll be fixed by two 30 I'm like, "Yay!" And then two thirty came and went. Uh, so <laughs> we, we we went out for lunch or breakfast because we couldn't cook anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but the line was too long. <laughs> right. And then we uh, yeah. Well, I don't even think it was every. It just the restaurant was in a place where the power was still on, but it was uh, like. It was only like a six block area or something. I think it was down to, Uh, uh, by morning, it was down to 331 houses that had no power. Uh, And mine was just one of them. Yeah, lucky lucky 300. (laughs) Yeah, it was a bunch of smaller blocks, but like one, this everything between these two major streets uh, had no power. Um, And yeah, after getting something to eat, we decided to go to the mall because the power wasn't back on yet. And I got tired of wandering around with the... (laughs) The ladies shopping, so I went to the phone store. <laughs> it reminds me, although not nearly as dramatic, but uh, 
on our way down to Texas, we stopped in a town called Grants Pass in Oregon, which going into it, I thought would be like a gas station, a diner, and this repair shop. And then I got there and realized it was like the size of one of our medium-sized towns. Like it was a decent-sized place, uh, which I was not expecting. So I was a little overwhelmed because like all of a sudden I had this entire town to navigate. (laughs) And uh, same kind of thing. I uh, I don't know if it was a 19-year-old kid, but a, a car accident took out the sole provider for wired for like, you know, a business internet. They have one carrier for the town. And they went down the day I was there that had I had to record Linux Unplugged. The town lost internet. Wow. So uh, it was, it, but it took me a while to figure it out because I had to, I had to, I, I, I had to visit, like I went to several hotels to try to get like a hotel room that had Wi-Fi and each one of them just told me, oh no, our Wi-Fi isn't working. They didn't say the town is out. It took somebody who was in the lobby who saw my, I was wearing this Coda radio shirt that I'm wearing right now. So he figured out I was an IT guy mm-hmm. and he's like, oh yeah, no word. The whole town's down. I'm like, what do you mean the whole town's down? Like, our provider's out. I'm like, what do you mean your provider? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but then the thing that happened is everybody jumped on the cell networks. Yeah, oh, yeah. So the cell networks, so that's why I ended up tethering to do Linux Unplugged, but the cell networks were so jammed because everybody in this fairly well-sized town just all was on their cell phones. And so it was awful. <laughs> it was like like going back into the dark ages. <laughs> so I know how that feels, Alan. Because <laughs> I had to charge, I, so I charged up my phone up, my battery pack, but then I went and bought a new phone that had a not charged battery and my battery pack was down to like 10%. And I was like, <laughs> right. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well. <clears throat> the thing we... eventually the power came back on at uh 3:57 with their estimate of 4 p.m. So they actually beat their estimate by 3 minutes. That's not bad. That's not. I kind of figured if they estimated 4 o'clock it's going to be at least 4:30, isn't it? Yeah. But luckily it came on in time to make dinner. <laughs> and, uh, and luckily it wasn't too hot so we didn't die from lack of air conditioning yesterday. And now you have a Pixel 2, which is a solid upgrade. Although the Pixel 3 is just around the corner, but you don't really care. Like well, as long as it's a good wait phone, that right? long. Yeah. Like well, my my Nexus 6 being the last of the 32-bit phones, it was it hadn't got a software update since October of 2017. Mm-hmm. Um and like trying to use maps on it, it would like lag, like you yeah. like or you get a Skype message and you yeah. click and it's like one, yeah. two, three, yeah. four. Five, six, seven, Jesus, and finally the message shows up. Yeah, my uh, my six P, the, the Microsoft is, loading screen. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, my six P, which is not not a lot older than yours, is dreadfully slow doing everything. Well, six P would be newer. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's not. It's not, but it's still old. You know, compared to modern. Right. It's yeah. just like eight months newer. Yeah, so. exactly. So it's a little but newer the, than yours. The P is actually 64-bit though, right? Yeah. It's a good big phone. I love, you know, it's got great speakers. So uh, I was slightly disappointed with the fact that the Pixel 2 XL is smaller than my Nexus 6. Yeah. Although after using it for a day, when I picked up the Nexus 6, it's like, <laughs> it looks weird that the screen is so wide. Yeah. It does feel <laughs> old now. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not so much that it felt old. Um, it, it looks a little less crisp because the resolution isn't high. As oh, yeah. High, but... Um, it was mostly just that everything looks oddly wide now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but for now, I'm still using the Nexus 6 uh, for my audiobooks because I haven't managed to get the right cables for the the Pixel yet. So it has the USB-C to headphone jack to power my, my under-the-pillow speaker, mm-hmm. but you can't charge the phone at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I have to buy a bunch of accessories off Amazon to get everything sorted out. Oh yeah, welcome to the USB-C lifestyle. Now, and, and then once you cross... Well, I have a bunch of stuff for my Mac. I actually wondered if my uh, yeah. USB-C to HDMI adapter for my Mac would let me play mm. stuff on my TV off my phone. Mm. Uh, I was mostly considering things when, you know, it looked like the power was staying out and I was bored. I was like, well, we have one last... Um, we have the big battery pack for jump 
starting the car, but it also has a DC or an AC inverter. So we could have maybe powered the TV off that for an hour or two. <laughs> <laughs> like if I can hook my cell phone up in order to, <laughs> to play some YouTube or something yeah. uh, over the, the 4G. Uh, it's like yeah. I have my Mac, but there's no videos downloaded on it. Yeah. And my NAS is offline. My NAS is never offline. What's going on? <laughs> yep. Boy, boy, do I feel you. <laughs> um, so the uh, the I think the USB C thing is it's one of those it's one of those transitions that once you make it, you well, see where everything's going. There's absolutely no reason why the Pixel doesn't have a headphone jack in the top. Yeah. Yeah. I know. That I'm not defending. I'm just saying I want everything to be USB-C for charging. One power cable yes. for all of your devices uh, is glorious. The fact that I can charge my Lenovo off yes. my Mac charger I know. is super helpful. It's amazing. It, it's how it should be. It's how it should have always been. Um, but I I just this weekend was talking to somebody who was ranting and raving about the removal of the headphone jack still on their iPhone. Like they still are angry about it. Um, so I, I would be too. Yeah. Right? I, I bloody well am. <laughs> Yeah, I, this isn't an excuse, but I, I, I have. It has not been an issue for me because I just, I just resolved myself to it. When I saw that Android phones are going the same way, the two things that have made it better is I put Bluetooth in my truck and I put wireless charging on, on my car cradle. So I just yeah, but I I need to. Well, yeah. wireless charging might be the solution for my yeah uh, falling asleep at night. Yeah, because it frees the port. Instead, back up. a USB C thing that. Does headphones and yeah. power charging is all I really need. I wonder. Uh, I bet you I there's need, a dock. Like, three of those. I yeah. bet you, you uh, can get a USB C. Well, I, I want something little because uh, I want one I can take with me uh, on the road. Uh, yeah. uh, so basically, I, I'm probably going to buy two or three different ones and have one that stays at home and one that lives in the backpack and one that goes. Where, where, where. <laughs> oh, perfect! <laughs> Just what they wanted. Those bastards. Uh, all right. Well, let's keep going. Because I need more chargers, I guess now. Or yeah. Something. Well, and but the thing is, it's like in a way. There's one more note on that. Is this so? I've sort of, I've sort of, I sort of felt that too. But it's like, well, at least it's it's like the last charger in a way. I mean, it's obviously not, but uh, like I right, got because like at the end of the day of a conference, I need to charge my laptop. Right. Actually, both of my laptops and my phone and right. my battery pack thing. So I have this awesome device from Japan that gives me yeah. four charging USB ports at full two. 0.1 amps each. Yeah. Anyways, we should probably we should probably move on uh, because we got we got some free BSD stuff to talk about, and I want to mention Digital Ocean. Do.co slash action. That's the URL to go to to get a $100 credit for 60 days when you sign up with a new account. Do.co slash action. Industry-leading price to performance, predictable costs, and optimized compute types. They've done something a little bit different over the last year. When, when we've talked about DigitalOcean droplets in the past, they've had these really easily defined price points. My favorite's always been $0.03 cents an hour. I think that's a great system for the price. But now... Now they're getting into like optimized compute and they're getting into mix and match droplets where you can say, go a little more CPU and go less on the disk or go more on the RAM. So you build it to your app. And that that's a really great idea because you look at what's going on in the world these days, out there in the world with the GitLabs and the GitHubs and the Microsofts. Let's say that just changes your perspective on things a bit. Well now, with these customized droplets, you could build up a droplet with lots of storage, but maybe it doesn't have a ton of CPU because you're just using it for GitLab. 
wouldn't that be a great way to just try out GitLab? And they have one-click deployments for the entire stack, from the OS all the way up to the GitLab application, or you can build it yourself. And the great thing is, is they kind of have like backup dancers for you. They've got great documentation. Whenever you get stuck, you, you just go read and you'll, you'll have the answer. It's, it's really good stuff because they're paying people to write for DigitalOcean and they go through it with technical authors that are full-time staff members at DigitalOcean to review all of that content, make sure it's formatted consistently and properly and easy to understand and read and, and well bookmarked as well. So many good tools. And then you have their interface. It's a great dashboard, super easy to use. Every system uses enterprise-grade SSDs, 40 gigabit connections coming into the hypervisors, and data centers all over the world. And they also have services at the edge, like their cloud firewalls, that block traffic at their router level so they don't ever even get to your rig. They don't cost you any bandwidth or CPU time at all because they're blocking it at the network level. And they have a 99.99% uptime SLA, built-in DNS management, and much, much more. So check them out at do.co slash action. You get a $100 credit at do.co slash action. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring Tech Talk today. Do.co slash action. All right, Mr. Jude, speaking of FreeBSD, we have a pretty big moment in FreeBSD history. It just turned 25. That's got to be a big deal, Alan. Yep. Uh, it's, uh, 25. Started back in 1993. Uh, well, of course, BSD is much yep. older than that. It yep. gets back to the Unix that came up in the late 60s, early 70s, and then it developed at Berkeley all throughout the 80s. Uh, and then in the early 90s, you had 386 BSD, which was uh, basically just you know, a guy and his wife maintaining it, uh, and they weren't going fast enough, so that got forked off and became the open source projects, uh, including FreeBSD. And uh, we're lucky that, that, so the date we picked is when we actually picked the name FreeBSD. Because uh, oh, okay. at the time, some of the suggestions were like Free86BSD, which is kind of a terrible name. Yes. <laughs> now, this is also kind of, uh, it's, this is a, not only is it a big milestone, see, so how do I put this? But it's like, it's kind of an awesome time for you to be so involved with the project as it's reaching this milestone. What are your thoughts on that? Because that's kind of big too, in a way. For you personally. Yeah, um, so we uh, just finished the last uh, FreeBSD election uh, for the core team. Every two years, the nine people uh, in charge, instead of having someone like Linus, we have a team of nine people elected by everybody who has right access to the repo. Uh, and that election just finished. And I guess uh, technically the results don't come out till Wednesday, but we know the results. Uh, and I've been reelected uh, to the core team for the second time. Congratulations. Or, well, my second term, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so is that a is that what kind of a job is that for you? Um, that the job itself uh, is mostly dealing with all the unpleasantness of a an op, of a, a large group of people volunteering for something. <laughs> How uh, lovely! <clears throat> part it's of it sold. is a good part, right? We get uh, we approve people for uh, right access to the repo and mm. stuff, but mostly we have to deal with anytime there's uh, an argument over something or a question about um, the. You know, can we put this uh, file with the different kind of copyright in, or can I change this file, or you know, uh, so and so and the other guy both disagree about which way to fix this, and you know, eventually somebody has to make a decision. But you do and you find it starts. rewarding on some level? Um, is that the right that way to put it? Particular job you isn't necessarily that rewarding. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, it's somebody has to do it, and I'd rather somebody 
that agrees with me. So it's me. <laughs> I, I do know what you mean there. It's like somebody's got to do it and they better do it right. <laughs> well, and, and I would prefer that uh, somebody who agrees with me do it. And so um, yeah. the person who agrees with me most often is me. That, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So you guys are also doing a, uh, a big old like uh, stream of the many interviews that uh, BSD right. now so, has done. Um, last year, um, Deb from the FreeBSD Foundation managed to finish all the paperwork and, and the fighting after a couple of years to get uh, June 19th declared National FreeBSD Day in the mm, U.S. Okay. Like it's actually on calendars. and That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so as part of that, we had decided to have some kind of celebration. And so we I basically made a, a six-hour loop of video in place of a, a live webinar because I had work to do on Tuesday. <laughs> Um, uh, but yeah, so we just took, uh, some of our classic interviews that we've done, uh, in person, especially ones with, uh, people from the FreeBSD foundation and other leadership roles in FreeBSD and, uh, mix that in with some tutorials that a a user had made, um, and, uh, some interviews we did at BSD can, and basically it was a live stream of six hours of stuff that's been running in a loop since. That's a good idea. I like that idea. I think that's... That's, and, it, and really, you could just leave it running for as long as you want, too. So Yeah, exactly. So um, when anybody that goes to the page will see probably something that wasn't the same thing they saw last time unless they come back on an interval of six hours. Well, so can I ask you just sort of like, in your, and this will all be in your opinion, of course, but like total outsider question. So 25 years of FreeBSD, what's like the next, what's the biggest challenges for like the next five years for FreeBSD? Do you think? Um, we have some interesting things. We talked a bit about this at BSD Can. Um so far, we've managed to maintain the average age of the FreeBSD developer community at about 39 years old. Mm. Um, we've been doing a good job of that, not skewing older and older. Uh, so we're adding enough newer young people um, to to keep the average from skewing too high. Um, although we do have, uh, as Kirk said, there's the, the, the top five people really pull that average up a bit, like by two years or something, because uh, some of them are, are that old, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, people that have been doing this for that long and have all of the the history and the knowledge and, mm-hmm. and are very useful to have around. Yeah. Um, so part of it is definitely recruitment, especially in this kind of newer uh, GitHub-y era. Um, people aren't willing to, to do the same amount of work to do a contribution to open source that they were in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're working on lowering those uh, barriers to entry and making it easier for people to contribute. Uh, but at the same time, unlike you know, a, a simple open source project, uh, like a browser plugin, a, a drive by patch that somebody throws over the wall and then you never hear from again, doesn't usually fit as well into an operating system as it does, you know, uh, some other open source projects. Yeah. Um, so it's trying to, uh, get the right balance between, uh, making it easy for people to contribute, but also to make sure those contributions are actually high enough quality to go into the operating system. Um, Luckily, FreeBSD has had this uh, mentorship culture um, basically since the beginning. Um, so when someone new uh, has made a couple of contributions to get noticed, which is the part we got to try to work on, but once uh, we do get people involved enough that they understand the, the culture and so on, then uh, we assign them one or two mentors uh, and they get to basically not get yelled at because they're, it's their mentor's fault if anything goes wrong. Hmm. So, um, so now yeah. are you um, one of those so mentors? The, Did you get mentored? How does that work for someone like you? Oh, yeah. So 
Uh, I got mentored originally uh, for documentation. It was uh, ah, okay. Benedict Rushling, who's now my co-host yeah. on BSD Now, and Eaton uh, uh, Adler, and I think Warren Block also. And then uh, later when I started doing uh, like source code programming, uh, it was Baptiste Rousson and uh, Marcel Moulinar were my mentors. And since that time, I've mentored uh, Thomas Soom, who's an Illumos developer, who ported the FreeBSD bootloader to Illumos. Ah. Um, and as part of that, he any bugs or fixes he had, he contributed to FreeBSD first and then just copied that over to Illumos. Uh, so myself and Werner Losh uh, mentored him through that. And I'm currently mentoring uh, Brad Davis on... Um, we're going to convert... Uh, so currently in FreeBSD... Uh, one of the things that sets it apart is that there's the base system, the operating system, and then all third-party apps are a separate thing. Uh, right. you, you know, we have a package manager, and you install them like normal, but on a freshly installed system, there aren't any. Everything included in the OS is one thing, and everything that you install as a third-party package is separate. Uh, what we're transitioning to is what we call packaged base, where the base system is also a set of packages, although it'll be a separate repo. Hmm. So unlike other... Uh, most Linux distros, we actually currently have one repo that has all 30,000 apps in it. Mm -hmm. And we'll just have two. One that is the operating system FreeBSD, and then the other one that's the 30,000 third-party apps. And then, uh, so it'll be a, so that'll, but the, what's on the ISO will then have some from that from that smaller repo pre-installed? Uh, yeah, so the smaller repo would be the operating system. You have most of that ah. installed uh, by default. But they, so what would be uh, in the there reason for this is that before? Uh, pretty much nothing. The idea is, though, ah. you'll be able to use the package manager to do the upgrade, uh, and it'll be able to upgrade like individual bits instead uh -huh. of having to just, you know, when there's a security update, instead of using our FreeBSD update system that mostly works but doesn't work on, say, Raspberry Pis with package base, uh, you'll just update a couple of packages uh -huh. and it will take care of it. Smooth. So, upgrading will go from two separate tools to one tool. That will be a nice improvement. So that sounds like some pretty solid short-term work from yeah, like how to get but, people uh, on board to how to update. Is yeah. there is another one? So I guess for the challenges for the next five years is uh, continuing our efforts on the hardware support. Uh, we've been doing pretty good, uh, especially in the areas where FreeBSD focuses, like storage and networking. Uh, you know, the most uh, high-end network hardware vendors like Intel, Chelsea, and Mellanox have dedicated teams of people writing the FreeBSD driver that work for the company and contribute to FreeBSD and have write access. Um, so, you know, there are teams at each of those three companies writing the driver and contributing it to FreeBSD. Uh, so we have very first-class support for all the, you know, 10, 20, 40, 50, 100 gigabit network cards. Uh, and hopefully that will continue in the future. And then we've been uh, doing a lot of work lately to take the... Um, Intel graphics stack, the i915 stuff, which they purposely, for the sake of FreeBSD, dual license when they contribute to Linux as both BSD and GPL, uh, and pulling that into uh, FreeBSD with our um, Linux kernel device emulation layer yeah. that allows us to keep our drivers in sync with theirs instead of having to rewrite them to the, the FreeBSD style interfaces. That is That sounds also like some really good stuff. Um, yeah, well, that was important so that when I went and bought a brand new Lenovo, I just installed <laughs> that and I had suspend and resume working. Absolutely, that's important. Uh, and accelerated graphics. Uh, so keeping that effort up will also be important mm -hmm. uh, and, and continuing with that. And, you know, uh, we're making different inroads there. We, you know, uh, the FreeBSD Foundation has uh, even more contact with Intel now for things outside of just the network cards. Um, and 
we have contacts with like HP Enterprise and Dell and so on to make sure that, uh, you know, when the next generation of HP Enterprise servers come out, that they've actually been tested with FreeBSD before they ship so that if there are going to be issues, we can get those ironed out before people buy the hardware. That makes sense. That That's great. linuxacademy.com slash unplug. They have some big stuff coming. So this is a great time to try out the platform, sign up for a seven-day free trial, and support the show at linuxacademy.com slash unplug. Now, coming up in July, they have 150 new hands-on types of challenges, cloud server assessments, in-depth certification training, and all kinds of new categories of training launching on the Linux Academy platform. Now, that's just after they wrapped up in April with 70 new challenges and coursewares and and also things like updating the old courseware and all that kind of stuff. And if you want if you want a deep dive now into security or the Google Cloud platform, AWS, anything in that DevOps category or Linux itself from the basics to the advanced stuff, they have courseware on that and they're expanding and adding all of the time. In July, they're going to live stream to give you an idea of some of the courseware content that they're launching. And that's why I was down there helping them get that set up. And it's it's a lot to cover. Uh, I don't, I mean, I understand like they, the, re- the reason why they want to do these live streams is because how else can they tell you about all of this stuff when it's this much stuff that's launching at once? I mean, we have the heart, we have a hard time getting the word out about one single episode launch. So imagine if you're launching over 150 new things. It's extremely difficult. And so they're doing a live stream all powered by Linux to tell you about it. There's details at linuxacademy.com. So go to linuxacademy.com slash unplug and sign up. It's a platform to learn everything about Linux or anything that runs Linux or that Linux runs on top of. A full featured training library with everything you need to learn new skills and advance your career. linuxacademy.com slash unplug. You. So what's so what is now what we have uh, project is it Trident and um, and TrueOS which sounds like TrueOS now is going to be less of a desktop uh, focused right. BSD and more of maybe like something that might be more server side and Project Trident will continue the desktop version of what was TrueOS with the Illumos desktop. What's what is do I have this right and what's going on? Almost Illumina desktop. Okay, Illumos is right, the sorry. Solaris right. work. Anyway, yeah. um, so yes, yeah, so. Um, Ike Systems had been sponsoring uh, PCBSD and TrueOS for a long time, uh, but they really need to focus on building the bits that are uh, become FreeNAS and TrueNAS and, mm-hmm. and other appliances. Um, so what they've done is spun off the desktop side into a separate project and took TrueOS back to... So when PCBSD was still called PCBSD, there was a project called TrueOS, and that was basically the modified version of FreeBSD that runs... Uh, FreeNAS and TrueNAS. Right, okay. Uh, and then when they wanted to rename PCBSD, they were like, well, we just reuse this other name because we already own the trademark. Uh, and that's kind of creating the confusion. But basically now they're going back to TrueOS being that base mm-hmm. uh, uh, for the appliances. But what they've added to it is a toolkit uh, with these manifests. So if you want to make your own distro, you take TrueOS you write this manifest and say, I want these bits on, these bits off, and these packages, and you press a button, and blammo, you have uh, Project Trident. That's awesome. Or, uh, the other one is, so they hired the developer from GhostBSD, which is a FreeBSD desktop based on GNOME instead of uh, Lumina or KDE, um, and he's rebased that on uh, TrueOS as well. 
Uh, so they already have two examples and there'll probably be a couple more coming soon uh, where it's just, you know, take this toolkit yeah. that is true OS and make your desktop OS or make your appliance OS or whatever. That's nice. That's actually going to be real. And is it, it's, it's actually appropriate to call them a distro? That's, 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 that's allowed? Basically, yes. Uh, so it, it, it turns Trident and GhostBSD and so on into distros of TrueOS. Oh, okay. okay. Or spins, maybe, is a slightly better word, because they're not that different yeah. like a distro. Well, that makes sense. Thank but you for clarifying They basically that. have a, a spin builder tool now, so you can make your own if you want. Well, so I will put links to the birthday celebration page and the stream in the show notes uh, at techtalk.today slash 281, 281. And um, also go check out Alan on the BSC Now program. You probably, everybody probably listening to this probably already knows about that, but got to get a plug in there for BSD Now because I bet you there's a bunch of BSD Can coverage in BSD Now. Yep. Two uh, weeks we, worth at least. Yeah, we did uh, the first two days of the conference, just the, the pre-conference stuff, the developer summit and tutorials and so on. Uh, on the week after we got back, and then uh, just yeah. this past Wednesday, we did the uh, the actual main days of the conference. Do you have speaking of BSD can? Do you have any thoughts on that whole uh, lazy FPU discussion that was held there, and then the hubbub that came out online? Do you have? Do you even want to <laughs> wade into that? Um, well, I've watched the actual official recording, not somebody's cell phone, but the one yeah. that you know we live streamed. Yeah. Um, first thing to understand is that was not a talk that someone was giving. It was a, a birds of a feather session. So basically during lunch, you go and get your lunch and then people interested in a certain topic meet up in a room and they talk about it. And in particular, even though the beginning of that had a little presentation, the later part happened during the actual, you know, open to the room discussion. Uh, and in particular, you know, as you can hear Theo saying, he doesn't actually understand the difference between the FreeBSD Foundation, which is a completely separate entity that holds the trademarks and can sign contracts for uh, people and so on, and the FreeBSD Project, which is this group of people. Um, and, you know, Theo's like, well, I don't understand the difference. But then he continued to say things like FreeBSD signed an NDA, which they did not. Uh, and Warner maybe slightly inappropriately told him to shut up about it. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, um, but yeah. like to, to make Theo's point, you know, he was like, uh, in OpenBSD, we haven't signed any NDAs, so we're completely freelance. We can do whatever we want. Yeah. It's like, well, Colin Percival, the former FreeBSD security officer years ago, I guess it's been like three people since him. But anyway, he was sitting in the back of the room listening and actually managed in the five hours after that to come up with a working exploit against that uh, yeah. speculation. Of, like, Which is remarkable. Even, even Theo didn't actually even know what the bug was, but by describing what he had heard, he gave Colin enough information to actually write an exploit, uh, which might have something to do with, if you go all the way back to 2005, Colin actually found the first exploit against hyperthreading ever. Yeah, yeah. And presented it at BSD Can in 2005. It's it's uh, kind of it was like the Pentium Four style hyperthreading. And you would think because of that he would be same included. Bug. You would think he, because of that he would be included well, he, in these. He had no reason to be included. I, was, well, except well, I really didn't have much of an interest in being included. Oh, okay, either. all right, okay. But he happened to be there and heard about it, and, and so he sent that exploit to the right people at Intel, and they lifted the embargo early. Uh, but the point is that Colin could have decided to write the fix and commit it to FreeBSD, and he would have been perfectly able to do that and allowed to do that. He probably wouldn't have. He would have coordinated with Intel like this, but um, there was nothing that would stop him from actually contributing that fix to FreeBSD. I see. 
And so from that presentation, uh, uh, was it Colin that tweeted uh, about his results? Yeah, he tweets about it. That was really when it really showed up on my radar because obviously I wasn't at BSD can. But as soon as I saw Colin and the way well, he even yeah. the way he before even, that it was supposed to be a secret. Yeah, yeah. And the way he even phrased it, I could tell. Oh, we are getting into some stuff here. And it seems to have it seems to have caused a bit of conflict because now people are calling people names and things like that. A good, uh, a frequent guest of your program is making some fuss about it. Uh, Brian Cantrell, what what are your thoughts yeah. on all of that? Um, I would definitely pay to hear a recording of a phone call between Theo Duvat and Brian Cantrell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, let's get him on the show. <laughs> well, <laughs> have those two argue on the show. That would be something. We did cover the details of uh, the lazy FPU stuff in uh, uh, what was interesting. If you actually see the commit to FreeBSD that fixes it, mm-hmm. is it actually links to a mailing list thread from back in 2015, uh, where FreeBSD actually considered switching to eager FPU for performance reasons, uh. not for security reasons. Uh. And it turns out there are a couple other operating systems, especially smaller ones uh, and like newer ones, like. like I can't remember the name of this one. It's orange logo. It's got like X in the name. Anyway, um, <laughs> they're like, yeah, we've been using eager FPU for a long time because we found it was faster. Um, and so it, it, it would have been interesting if FreeBSD had uh, taken the risk of making that change in 2015, uh, but it was mostly evaluated to be making that change might not be great on all hardware, especially older hardware. And so, you know, there's kind of this bias against making very low-level changes to the operating system that might have consequences down the road. Yeah, yeah. But if we had, we might have been like, well, turns out we don't need to do anything. So one last Intel story before we wrap up. Um, it, it, so there, like, was it last week, the Intel CEO, uh, Brian Krascheck? I don't know how you say his name. Krasanich? He He resigned on Thursday. Yes. Which was kind of like a big deal. Because uh, he's pretty well known in the industry. And today, as we record this, we start to have details on maybe what happened. Reporter Angela's on the scene. (laughs) Hold on, let me throw to Angela on the scene. Angela, are you there? Come in. All right. What are you learning? He first joined the company in 1982 and held the CEO position since May 2013. But it all came to an end when he resigned last Thursday. Bum, bum, bum. Due to a, a consensual relationship with an employee that went against the management um, uh, yeah, standards for the company. Bonking the staff. They always will get you fired. Yeah. So um, he, there was an ongoing investigation by an internal and external counsel. Oh, that's embarrassing. That confirmed that it was a violation of Intel's non-fraternization policy, which applies to all managers. Yeah. And the lady, so, she still has her job. The lady that well, he was... He didn't... Yeah. Like, nothing with the relationship was wrong. It was just the rule is that managers can't the yeah. manager have relationships with employees because there's too great a risk of HR law. Now, see, he's married. So if they're ju- if, if she's just like a side screw, does that... I mean, that's not a relationship technically. Because, I mean, where do you draw the line? It's like, enough... It's enough to get Intel sued, and that's why they have a rule against uh, it. Okay, so if there's, if there's, okay, I see, I see. So it's intimate contact, really, is what the rule is. No intimate contact allowed. It's not no relationships. It's no intimate contact because you can have intimate contact without a relationship. I mean, it is possible, but hmm. especially if this guy's married, right? But I, I could understand. I guess if it's, they just don't want that, uh, that whole leverage situation is really what it is. They don't want right. an employee to have leverage over a manager. 
Or, you know, if she got like an extraordinarily large raise versus other yeah. people of her same caliber, yeah, you know, it, like it there's a lot of yeah. issues that then well, yeah. but like you is can there also worth- get the other way around where suddenly the manager has too much control over them. And so she sure. doesn't want to break off the relationship with the manager right? Uh, because if she does, she will get fired or transferred to, you know, there's too many ways for it to go wrong. Sure. And that's why they have rules. Risk yeah. mitigation. Sure. It, so yeah. the replacement is Bob Swan. The board believes strongly in Intel's strategy, and we are confident in Bob Swan's ability to lead the company as we conduct a robust search of, uh, for our next CEO. Bob has been instrumental to the development and execution of Intel's strategy, and we know the company will continue to smoothly execute. We appreciate Brian's many contributions to Intel, and that is spoken by Intel's chairman, Andy Bryant. Swan. I, the market doesn't seem to as mind this at all. they were ever going to say anything other than yeah. those exact words. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. But yes, I don't think that this is... Um, it's not like he got fired for the, uh, what was it, selling a bunch of Intel stock during the uh, yeah. <laughs> meltdown right. uh, yeah. disclosure. Yeah, yeah, that was a good or one. Between yeah. when Intel found out about meltdown and between when the rest of us found out about meltdown. but I just want the new CEO to come in and just reinvigorate their GPU product. Just get all in on the GPUs again. I want oh, Intel well, to there's a separate story you want for that. Yeah. Uh, they just rehired Tom Forsyth, the guy that did the Larrabee GPU. Yes. Uh, to work on their discrete GPU project. It's happening. I hope that. Uh, I in hope case that you didn't know, uh, so Larby was the, um, the what was it? The, their, what was the other name for Larby? Um, I just always thought... Knights Crossing. Oh, no, I didn't uh, know that. I just always thought it was yeah. a dedicated GPU card that Intel tried to make. Well, no, so originally it was uh, a dedicated offload card, uh, or you could have it as your actual CPU. Uh, but basically it was... Hey, what if we stuck a thousand Pentium three chips on a, a card? Um, and so they made two versions of it. One where it was actually the CPU, which we—I uh, don't know if you saw the one they had at Linux Fest Northwest. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they had a machine with one of those uh, Knights Crossing uh, CPUs uh, running at the end of the middle aisle. That's what got me um, thinking about this, actually. Yeah, and then so uh, we recently, uh, like four or five weeks ago, on BSD Now covered the story of Larrabee. Where, um, you know, at the time, Intel didn't want to do a graphics card, and that's how they ended up getting killed. Um, but what they had actually done with the LARB was run FreeBSD on the PCIe card, uh, running on the, I think it had 256 cores. Um, and they, in order to do DirectX, they ran a 250-threaded program on the FreeBSD on the card, and that did the DirectX work and made a graphics card out of it. Right, I think I did see this part of your show because I think I remember you saying it was like it's essentially all software. Everything was software, so you could you could create yeah, a program. It was a second computer with two hundred and fifty six cores, uh, slotted into a PCIe slot, and it ran FreeBSD and ran basically DirectX software across all the cores <laughs> and and made a graphics card out of it. Of course, it's BSD. Of course, it was. That would be so epic if they brought that back. So uh, yeah. I, I just or, or found that was somehow involved in the, the new discrete card. Although um, it, what was interesting is in the blog post that Tom had back then, he was like, you know, what could the gen guys do if suddenly they had the die space to do like a full discrete card? Because, you know, in at the when they're building into the CPU, like the current generation Intels are, they're, you know, they have a tiny fraction of the die and they can't get very hot and they don't have very much memory and so on. Whereas if they could have, the space of a whole discrete card, they could, uh, you know, the Intel Gen thing could maybe is as performant as some of our 
competing discrete cards. Um, although it probably likes a couple of things just because, yeah. you know, it's 10 years younger and so on. But, um, but it'll be course, interesting to see what they can come up with, but the especially other, if it involves FreeBSD. Well, sure. And the other side of that dream would be that the drivers on the operating system would all be open source and easy for free software and for open source desktops to just use without having to yeah, worry about legal stuff. Hopefully, now that uh, Intel has a, a much closer relationship with FreeBSD uh, and they have a dedicated team at Intel's software division that does FreeBSD stuff, uh, maybe this new GPU, since it probably won't be based on the i 5 driver, might have its own driver. Maybe that will be built in such a way that, uh, you know, it's a common core with the two different interfaces, mm -hmm. one for Linux and one for BSD and one for Windows or whatever. This, uh, you know, that's that's how uh, NVIDIA's done their drivers for a long time. Yeah. You know, uh, and up until recently when some architectural changes are going on, um, FreeBSD version of the NVIDIA driver came out the same day as the Windows version. Mm -hmm. uh, PC Gamer article that I've linked in the show notes about the, about the shifting in the Intel GPU group, it speculates that Intel's aim is to release a discrete GPU in 2020. I, I won't hold my breath, but that would be amazing. Well, I think the other part of their aim is not to be reliant on AMD for, you know, they just released that new uh, one with the built-in AMD yeah. GPU. Yeah. And they probably don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a bit of a, um, a stopgap in the meantime, I suppose. Yeah, uh, but it's a really kind of a black... It's like, it seems like you would try hard for that to be NVIDIA just so that it wouldn't be AMD. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, very much so. But Although I don't uh, mind. Did, I did you see it. the little social media uh, contest between AMD and Intel the other day? I don't think so. So uh, Intel had a giveaway for their new like eighty eighty six K CPUs. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, which was like the twenty yeah something anniversary of the eighty eighty six or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and so they gave a bunch away, and so AMD replied to all the winners, being like, uh, you know we'll trade you one of our uh, like <laughs> epic ones for it because, uh, you know, it's got more cores and more gigahertz, whatever. And then Intel's like, you know, AMD, if if you wanted one that badly, you could have just asked. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Well, I like it. Not yeah. quite, you know, Wendy's level social uh, uh, media marketing, but getting there. Yeah, I, I feel like the AMD Intel uh, competition is getting hot again, and I like it. I'm glad we're back there. And my AMD ways. stock is getting hot again. <laughs> <laughs> Alan, all right, we should probably wrap it up. Uh, tell folks where they can get more Alan Jude every week. Uh, Alan Jude on Twitter, A-L-A-N-J-U-D-E. Um, and on at BSD Now awesome. uh, on Jupiter Broadcasting. Yep, check it out and uh, get some BSD can goodness there too. Andrews, where can they get more of you? I am at Andrews, A-N-G-E-R-Z on Twitter. Yep, and the whole network is at Jupiter Signal. And last and maybe least in this lineup, I am at Chris L-A-S. And uh, you can follow me there and uh, as well as uh, go follow... What, what, what's wrong? I'm oh. just listening. Okay, <laughs> give me a face. No. <laughs> and then go all as well, go over to techtalk.today slash subscribe because later on we've got another episode coming up with another great guest. But in the meantime, we'll see you back here soon. Here we go. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know what to say. I don't, I don't know when it's going to be wrong. <laughs>